You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. This is Fanback Fantasy Baseball, brand new Saturday edition. That's right. Uh, I think this is the first Saturday show I've done here on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Uh, in any event, uh, is that the first time? It's, it's certainly, I uh, don't think it's going to be the last one because uh, this is going to be the home for Fanback Fantasy Baseball this particular time and slot uh, for the foreseeable future through through football season. Um, so no more on, uh, Sundays or during the week. Uh, if you've been tuning in with me, uh, throughout the baseball season, I thank you. Thank you for listening. I thank you, uh, for, uh, uh, being a part of the show. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be back, uh, to a similar schedule at some point, uh, in 2018, but, uh, for now Saturdays only, and uh, I just want to start with uh, just uh, some thoughts for the, the folks on the Texas Gulf Coast. Hope uh, if you're if you're able to listen into the show, uh, hope uh, hope you're safe and uh, all is well there. Um, but let's get on to uh, the news. Yoana uh, Cespit as the latest met uh, to hit the DL. He is going on the 10 day DL with a hamstring injury. And in fact, uh, Mets have just called up Travis Tyrone, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and he's actually in the starting lineup for the Mets today. And I'll check in. We've got a bunch of lineups in already. And of course, we also have two games in progress. We got the Mariners and Yankees, and we got the uh, Twins and Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays up two nothing right now, top of the fourth. And uh, yes, Mariners and Yankees still tied one apiece in the bottom of the third. Uh, so, yes, Cespedes to the DL. Uh, so just uh, one thing after another for the Mets. Uh, got a whole bunch of uh, suspensions in now from that uh, Yankees-Tigers brawl from the other day. Uh, we've got uh, some other injury news. Um, and uh, a lot of interesting performances from from Friday. i got to get used to saying that from Friday because I'm not accustomed to being here on Saturday. Uh, including several Phillies, even though the the Marlins uh, emerged victorious on Friday, number of uh, Phillies that gave us some some food for thought. And of course, John Carlos Carlos Stanton with two more home runs that is hardly news. And some interesting pitching performances as well. A bunch of fly ball pitchers keeping the ball in the park on Friday. What's up with that? I'm definitely going to dig in to those performances. So uh, all of that is going to be uh, coming up. Just uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, as for weather, by the way, I'm going to just handle this right away because it's really quick. No weather issues, threatening delays or cancellations for any games on the slate today. So that was quick and easy. Anyway, like I said, a lot more news, a lot more analysis to get to. Coming up right after this break.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, before we get on to some more news, some lineups, all kinds of good baseball stuff here, it's time for me to remind you that you can now take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you any place that you go. Download the Fantasy Sports Radio app right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime or anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill, Greg Sussman on the subway, or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So lots to get to here. Uh, Jose Reyes has been activated. Uh, that was in tandem with the uh, move I mentioned earlier. Travis Tyrone uh, called up from uh, AAA Las Vegas. They are both in the Mets lineup. Uh, Reyes batting leadoff, playing second base. Tyrone uh, batting seventh and in right field. And he, he could be interesting. He's a 28-year-old uh, making his major league debut. And from his stats, definitely looks like a three true outcomes type. Had a 13% walk rate with Las Vegas, a 24% strikeout rate, a uh, 30, 31% ground ball rate. Uh, and he had the, the power to show for it, 25 homers in 125 games. Uh, 383 on base percentage. The batting average was not bad. 272. I'm not sure that that's going to translate, but uh, he could be an interesting one to watch and uh, with a good weekend, maybe a, a nice deep league pickup. Uh, it looks like he's going to be starting regularly. Uh, also, no Ryan Zimmerman in the Nationals lineup. And again, this is uh, Mets at Nationals. Uh, this is a 4 o'clock Eastern start. And Zimmerman uh, has... Injured his arm or shoulder. I don't uh, see anything more detailed than that. Uh, but uh, hurt himself sliding head first yesterday. So uh, he is out. He is out of the Nationals lineup. Adam Lind over at uh, first base. Uh, Rangers facing the A's and Sean Manaya. So with the lefty on the mound, there's no Numar Mazzara in the uh, Rangers lineup. And, oh, here's a big one. Red Sox and Orioles, also a 4.05 Eastern start at Fenway Park. Kevin Gosman, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Eduardo Nunez is in the Red Sox lineup. He's leading off playing second base. He left uh, Friday's game early with a sprained left wrist and thumb, but x-rays did come out negative. He was considered day-to-day, and day-to-day in his case meant I'll be back the next day. So good deal for Eduardo Nunez and for his fantasy owners. Uh, Evan Gaddis was activated from the seven-day concussion DL yesterday. Uh, Johnny Cueto is going to make a rehab start for the San Jose Giants, the California League, tomorrow. So uh, barring any sort of setback there, we could see him back by uh, next weekend. Could be back as soon as Friday for the Giants. And similarly, John Lester is scheduled to throw a sim game on Monday. He could just skip a rehab stint altogether if that goes well and he feels well. So maybe we see Lester next weekend as well. Unfortunately, we're, we're not going to know that until uh, until after uh, lineups lock, I would, would expect. 
So um, you're just going to have to take your chances there. I personally would plan on not starting John Lester next week because even if he does start, it's going to be against the Braves, who have actually hit really well against lefties. So first, what what is potentially a first start off of, uh, again, what is possibly a short DL, uh, DL stint for John Lester, I wouldn't chance it. It's tough to do with somebody of Lester's caliber, but I would not chance that one. Greg Bird uh, has been activated from the 60-day DL. Uh, tried to speculate on that one yesterday. Had a hard time getting a, uh, a, a straight report on that one, but he's not only activated, but he uh, was in the starting lineup for the Yankees today as they are uh, playing the Mariners. And see if I can get you... A quick update without uh, having to stall too much here. And Bird has walked in his first to plate appearance today against the Mariners. So anyways, Greg Bird back for the Yankees. He and Castro, Starlin Castro, back-to-back in the, in the lineup there, fifth and sixth, uh, both uh, in action today. So good uh, news there for Bird and the Yankees and Greg Bird owners like myself. Got a prospect call-up for tomorrow. Tyler Malley going to make his major league debut against the Pirates. He's had a really, really great season. Started out double-A Pensacola, got promoted to triple-A Louisville, performed well at both stops, uh, combined a 2.06 ERA and a 0.96 whip. He is MLB.com's number 86 prospect overall. And I wouldn't feel that great about if I were in a daily lineup league and I could, uh, you know, if I already had Malley or I could grab him overnight wouldn't feel good about trusting him in his first start but i will say it's not a bad matchup for mally i guess maybe if it's a deep league uh and you, you've either got somebody you're just really you can't wait to get out of your rotation or uh it's a very deep league where maybe you're you've got the dl person there or something something like that um mally's a good control pitcher i i sort of view him my expectations for him are sort of along the lines of jameson tyone that he might be merely okay for strikeouts. I don't expect him to be bad for strikeouts, but very, very good control pitcher. And again, I'm talking about Jamison Tyone, as we saw earlier this year and, and also last season, not the recent, the recent version of Tyone, which hasn't been that good. But the Pirates are a very selective team, and they don't really swing that much at pitches that are even in the zone. So that, that could be a good one for Tyler Malley. And finally, Zach Britton, uh, the MRI on his knee came back clean, and he was actually available yesterday. Uh, he was not needed for the Orioles. Uh, that game was a, a blowout. And by the way, we didn't see Zach Britton, but we did see Mitch Moreland pitching uh, for the Red Sox, and he he did quite well. He made it a full inning. He struck out Caleb Joseph. He did give up a couple of hits, but threw 10 strikes and just four balls. And he averaged a little bit over 90 miles an hour on his fastball. So good deal, Mitch Moreland. Uh, so Mitch Moreland, relief pitcher, by the way, in the Red Sox lineup, along with Eduardo Nunez, uh, Moreland back at first base, as I'm sure you were expecting. Uh, batting seventh for the Red Sox. So anyhow, that is a wrap-up on the news and on lineups. And... Uh, Interesting game last night, fun game last night uh, with the uh, the Phillies against the Cubs. 
And I, by the way, I, I have to apologize because I think I said in the first segment I was still was was like a day behind and, uh, since I've got the the Phillies playing the Marlins. So my bad. The Marlins started a series against the uh, the Padres. That was a fun one too. But uh, Reese Hoskins hit his ninth home run. So uh, that makes him the fastest player ever to nine home runs. Uh, just incredible. I wish we could, you know, redo the uh, the home run derby and get uh, Reese Hoskins in there with John Carlos Stanton. That would be really, really fun. So Hoskins, nine home runs already in just 16 games. And he's got a, just a silly slash line of 286, 412, 786. And, and really doing everything he did in the minor leagues and more as a major leaguer. Uh, walking a lot, not striking out very much, and hitting for just ridiculous power. Um, but I talked about this on a recent show, but I think it was on Thursday's show. But the one thing he's not doing is getting hits on balls in play because he's too busy getting hits on balls out of play over the fence. But for the few balls that actually stay in the park, uh, he's got an even 200 BABIP. And he might not be a, a 300 or a 290 or even a 280 guy uh hitter on on balls and play because he does hit a lot of fly balls but i do not care <laughs> he does everything else so well and he he's, could be one of these players that hits for a decent average even if he makes uh, a lot of uh, fly ball outs so also from that uh, phillies cubs game cesar hernandez uh going three for four with a pair of doubles 19th and 20th doubles and a sixth triple so the, the speed has really served Hernandez well, not only in terms of uh, doubles and triples, but he's just 13 for 16 in steals. And that's a big thing because he, he has been uh, somebody you could look to for stolen bases, but particularly in points league where you lose points for, for caught stealing. He was a real liability last year. This year, much, much more efficient on the base paths. And speaking of which, Freddie Galvis getting a couple of steals in that game off of uh, Alex Avila uh, and the Cubs. Uh, and a couple of hits for uh, Freddie Galvis in that one. Also got thrown out. But Galvis, like Her- Hernandez, uh, 13 for 16 now in stolen bases. So anyway, much more to get to. More hitter performances and some uh, interesting things happening on the mound with pitchers that you wouldn't necessarily expect it from. And not just Mitch Moreland, by the way. So all of that is coming up. In the next segment, stick around. I'm going to be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And I spent some time talking about some good hitting performances from the Phillies in the last segment. And just very offhandedly mentioned about Carl Stanton. Well, even though he's must-own, must-start, must-everything, uh, I, I really want to break down what he's done this year. Because we are getting to that point where it's playoff time in a lot of leagues. You might be out of it in some of the leagues. Hopefully you're not out of it in other leagues yet. But it's, you know, it's that time where we start looking a little bit forward to next season. And Stan was somebody as recently as, 
I would say even last year, definitely two seasons ago, but even last year, viewed him as a, as a first rounder, maybe even as an early first rounder. And I, I think I was probably one of the slower people to to buy into the narrative that uh, he was just going to be too injury prone and too inconsistent to make him the centerpiece of my team, to use use my first round pick on him. And so I think that discussion is definitely reopened. Uh, I was on the CBS uh, Fantasy Baseball Today podcast earlier this week and with uh, uh, my former colleagues, uh, Adam Azer and Scott White. And we were talking, I'm trying to remember now who we were talking about uh, in terms of where they go in the first round. I honestly can't remember right now. Uh, not that it really matters to this discussion, but in terms of naming players uh, who you know I would also include in the first round, I without even thinking twice, I said Stanton. And I got a little bit of a surprised response. So that, you know, I thought that was interesting. But, um, you know, I I do kind of get it. And I'll have a little bit of hesitation too, because, you know, once you sort of buy into the idea that Stanton uh, might not be able to stay healthy, you know, one good season shouldn't necessarily change that concern. And, And the same thing with the consistency concern. But I will say for Stanton, he has not had a prolonged slump this year. So that's, an, uh, I think, a new thing. I haven't gone by and, and broken down every previous season for him. But as somebody who up until just a little over a year ago lived in South Florida, lived there for a long time, uh, watched a lot of Marlins, both in person and on TV. And it certainly seemed like every year Stanton had a slump that was at least a month long. In some cases, a month and a half, two months long. And this year, he has not had a month where he has had an ISO his rate of extra base hits below, let's see, what's his lowest? 264. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's the best month for a lot of players. He has not had a month with a slugging percentage below 516. That was in June. And the slugging percentage in part was pulled down because he hit only 242. But so he was he was good. He was very good, in fact, and very consistent in the first half. And in the second half, he's just gone into another crazy gear. <laughs> uh, his slash line for the second half is hysterical. It's 319, 430, 861. And he has struck out less than 23% of the time. So that's, you know, I mean, overall uh, for the season, I'm not talking about the second half. This is, like I say, a higher gear. But over, even overall the season, when you bring in the first half, with, which was just, you know, merely great. Not uh, you know, otherworldly. Um, the 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 you know the strikeout rates been been lower, so that that's certainly a change. But overall, it's not that different from what he did two seasons ago, other than the fact that he has stayed healthy all year. And that's the thing is, I I keep hearing on TV and and reading that. This is something entirely new for Stanton. And I guess, yeah, you know, if you're including the amount of times played and you're looking at counting stats, absolutely. It's it's uh, something new for, for Giancarlo Stanton. But in terms of what he's just able to do from a, a rate perspective, uh, and particularly in terms of sheer power, we've kind of seen this before. In 2015, he only played 74 games, but he hit 27 home runs. Uh, so you prorate that out. To, to a full season, uh, you know, even if you figure he misses a few games, I mean, that's a 50-55 homer season. Now, of course, he's already at 49, so he should easily 
make 55. Even if he slows down to his first half pace, he should get to like 55 or 56. And if he doesn't slow down, then you know 60 is very much in reach. In fact, 62, which is the, the magic number uh, everybody is starting to talk about now, of course, ignoring the, the Bonds home run record, but uh, which is a whole different story. Uh, then, uh, you know, that, that is, an, is, is in reach as well. Um, if I, if I took the over under on 60, I think I'd actually take the under, cause I just do think that he is going to cool off somewhat. He'll still be must start, but I would guess he'll just miss. I'm going to, I'm going to predict 58 for Stanton end of season. Anyhow, point being that in 2015, in a little less than half a season, he hit 27 home runs. He hit 265. Right now he's hitting 290. Uh, but that's you could chalk up pretty much almost entirely to the decrease in the strikeout rate and a slight increase in power. But he was perennially somebody who led the majors in average fly ball distance, and he is back there again. He's been climbing the charts since... Uh, since uh, really the first three months of the season when he was, again, merely merely great. Um, But Stanton right now doing something that, for him, is unprecedented. All right, let's get on to some people that uh, might give us a a little more, uh, something more debatable to think about. I I think with Stanton, there is still a debate about first round or not. I'm certainly leaning yes right now. How about Jonathan Scope? He went four for five on Friday at Boston, and that brought his batting average up to 306. And the rest of his numbers are pretty darn good, too. He's got 27 home runs. He scored 78 runs. He's driven in 94 runs already. So look at that. Jonathan Scope on a pace for, got to do, do the math, after I do the math quickly in my head, but I mean, that would seem 110 RBI are easily in reach for Jonathan Scope at this rate. And those numbers are good for third place in roto value for second base eligible players. And fourth place in points, and I'm using CBS standard points for that. So I think this is going to be a really interesting question, both for Jonathan Scope individually and for the second base pool in general. Because while I think that the landscape has... uh, shifted in a similar way for a lot of positions that uh, shortstop people have different opinions of this. I I think shortstop is still uh, a much, much deeper position that was a couple years ago. I don't, I don't think that's controversial, Um, but I've heard people say that "Ah, shortstop's lousy. I I think that's kind of, I think that that's uh, missing the mark. Uh, Shortstop third base uh, outfield, uh, first base, especially first base, really uh, getting much, much more talent heavy this season with breakouts and rookies and such. But um, second base, I mean, not, and not to disparage Jonathan Scope, who's having a great season. I just wouldn't think of him as a, a top four second baseman. So, you know, you've got Altuve and, and D Gordon, who are one, two. Jose Ramirez has slumped, so he's fallen a bit, bit back in the standings. But, uh, you know, Brian Dozier is, uh, I think, just barely within the top 10, and he was somebody coming into the year I considered to be an elite. So it's all, all a bit topsy-turvy at second base. And I, I don't know. I'm, I talked about this with Nando Defino on Thursday's show, but 
I, I think I'm going to be very reluctant to go early on Jonathan Scope by saying, well, he was a top four player at a thin position um, because he's done some things this year that I've, I'm not quite believing in. Now, the power being a 30-plus homer guy, which he's well on the way to, that that I don't have any doubts about. But the 306 batting average, he's hitting 278 on grounders, and he just does not profile that way as being somebody who's going to be significantly better than average uh, hitting ground balls when the you know, typical player sitting about 240. And he's also batting 364 with runners in scoring position. So that's having a lot to do with why he's on a pace to drive in 110 or more runs this season. And if you, you expect regression in those areas, is that enough to make him just sort of, I don't want to say ordinary because I don't think scope's ordinary, but, you know, make him top, 10 instead of top four. I don't know. I got, got to do the research, do the, do the math on that. Um, I would expect that, uh, you know, Dozier and, and Jose Ramirez, you know, just to name two players would uh, probably finish higher next year. Maybe, maybe, you know, surge towards the end of this season and, and finish higher than where they are right now. Um, but yeah, I'm having, I'm having trouble buying into Jonathan scope as an elite fantasy second baseman. Uh, Mike Zanino was somebody who I liked as a breakout player this year, and he's kind of done it. I, I mean, yeah, even with the breakout, I didn't figure he'd hit for average. In fact, he's hitting a little better for average than I, I would have thought. I think he's batting 239, and I'm going to look that up just to make sure. Uh, 231, okay? So maybe just a, a tad higher. Roughly, I guess, in the neighborhood of, of what I might have expected from Zanino. But he hit his 19th homer at Yankee Stadium on Friday as part of a three-for-five game. And he's in the top 12 among catchers in terms of points, just barely outside the top 12 in terms of roto. So I'm going to get back because I'm quickly running out of time in this segment. So I'm going to get back and talk a little bit about Zanino in the next segment. And uh, also update you on Matt Kemp and Corey Dickerson, who seem to be turning a corner. And lots of pictures to talk about as well. So we've got all that to look forward to, but first this break, and then I will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRec Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host of the show. And I'm going to get right back to talking about Mike Zanino because I had an unfinished thought from the last segment. And uh, I try to corral <laughs> this argument here that I was starting to make about Zanino. So on the, the face of it, he is having something of a breakout season. Uh, like I said, batting 231. Whereas uh, last year it was 207, and uh, two years before that didn't even crack 200, and and I knew there was going to be a ton of power there, or I shouldn't say I knew it, but uh, I, I suspected. And again, it's you know that's no big deal. He already showed a lot of power, and especially uh, the second half last year. So it wasn't you know going way out on, on a limb or anything. But, but but the thing that I thought we might see from Mike Zanino this year. Given that uh, you know, here's somebody who had you know been around for for a few years, you know, played 
the a good chunk of of really four seasons coming into this year, which is hard to believe. But you know, remember he didn't have that long in the minors after being drafted out of uh, University of Florida before he debuted and uh, has been sort of up and down from Mariners, you know, ever since then. So 26 years old and in the minors, he actually had not been a terrible contact hitter. Uh, Looking right now, uh, last season in 79 games, the AAA Tacoma, he struck out 21% of the time. That's, that is very, it's very decent. I won't say it's good, but it's not bad by any stretch. Uh, and yet every time he comes up, it's, you know, about a third of the time he's he's striking out. So I thought, okay, well, we've seen the power. And actually last year we saw it even with a little greater frequency. And so eventually, right, he's going to be able to at least kind of move toward, at least if, if not be a 21% strikeout hitter in the majors, you know, maybe he gets down to, I don't know, 27%. That seemed realistic or at least uh uh not crazy right and he's striking out 37 percent of the time this season so that 231 batting average which i thought okay if he does shave that strikeout rate down maybe that that's what he is about a 230 hitter uh but he is doing it on balls in play and not by putting more balls in play and Everything, almost everything about his batted, bro, batted ball profile, not profile, um, suggests he should probably be going the other direction. <laughs> he is pulling the ball a lot more this season than he had previously. Last year, he had a 45% uh, pull rate, which was pretty much in line with what he had done before. It's up to 52% this year and going the opposite way, only 50% of the time, which is hardly at all. So uh, the, the fly ball rate is down just a bit this year, but not enough to say, oh, this looks like a guy with all the fly balls and all the pulled balls that he hit, that this is going to be somebody who's going to be better than the average major leaguer at getting hits on balls in play. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah, we talked about, uh, talked about Reese Hoskins earlier in the show and how I don't really care that he is being a low Babbitt hitter and profiles to be one for a long time uh, because there's just so much power there. But the difference between Hoskins and Zunino, or for that matter, uh, between Hoskins and somebody like Joey Gallo is just, there's so many strikeouts and in Zunino's case, that might be enough. That might be enough for him to be a borderline number one catcher, which is exactly what he is right now. But this might, again, this might be as good as it gets for him because this is now his fifth season in the major leagues, and he's made really no headway at all on the strikeout rate. In fact, he's a worse contact hitter this year than he was last year. So he goes for me, maybe, and again, it's very, very early to say that, but maybe come this offseason, he goes from being a sleeper for me to being a potential bust. So we'll see. We'll see how Mike Zanino rounds out this season. Uh, by the way, just coming across my computer screen here, something I'll share with you real quick. Nikki Delmonico has been placed on the DL by the White Sox. Uh, they've called up Rob Brantley. Well, we've seen the majors in quite a while. Um, so he's got a sprained right wrist, uh, Nikki Delmonico. So uh, that puts a, a screeching halt to what had been a really, really cool story 
in his uh, time so far with the with the White Sox. All right, well, let's uh, get to just a couple other hitter performances from Friday. Matt Kemp looking good with a three-hit game, his 15th homer and his 21st and 22nd doubles. So all extra base hits for Matt Kemp. Uh, this against the Rockies uh, at SunTrust Park. And so now he is 7 for 19 since coming back off of the DL. Now, granted, three of those seven hits just came on Friday, so that skews things a bit. But one thing that's really is he's only struck out one time in 19 at-bats. So there's that. And Kemp is a streaky player. He's been streaky, I think, pretty much every year, at least every year uh, since he has you know, fallen from really being an MVP level type player. So when, uh, you know, people have been asking me, should I drop Matt Kemp? Should I drop him? I, I haven't said unequivocally no, but I think much more often than not, I've said you need to try to find a space for him uh, because he is capable of a turnaround. And this, this could be the start of it. And on yesterday's show, I said the exact same thing about Corey Dickerson. And so just to update you on him, he Reached base five times yesterday, went four for four with a walk with a couple of doubles, and he's now up to 30 doubles on the season. So now over his last four games, and again, not a very long stretch here, so you got to definitely take this small sample with a, a very big grain of salt. But he's nine for 15 with those two doubles and a pair of home runs, and he too has only struck out one time. So... That was really very key for Dickerson. He had to cut back on the strikeouts, and now over a four-game stretch, he's done that. It's a very, very, very small sample, but you you got to take encouragement where you can find it. And if he keeps that momentum going over the weekend, if you've been on the fence, if you've been benching Corey Dickerson, which has made sense in recent weeks, he keeps the momentum going. I say get him back in there. All right, well, let's move on to the pitchers. And there was a bit of a theme and a lot of the better starts, really almost all of them uh, from Friday, uh, flyball pitchers doing good things. And we saw two of them, really two of the more extreme ones in the same game, Astros and the Angels at Angel Stadium. And I think that that venue might be a key part of the story here. Parker Bridwell, seven innings, two runs allowed on six hits with no walks and five strikeouts. And he now, in 10 of his last 13 starts, and actually I take that back because I think, well, I'm not sure how many starts he's made this year. That might be for the whole season. But of 10 of his last 13 starts, he's allowed less than three runs. So either zero, one, or two runs. Earned runs. Because I think there was one game where he gave up four runs, but two earned runs. So let me clarify that. 10 of his last 13 starts, he's given up less than three earned runs. And in his last nine starts, he's only given up five home runs. And this is a pitcher who, over that nine-start stretch, he's not really become a better ground ball pitcher. He's got a 38% ground ball rate, which is definitely lower than average. Um, so, you know, I think venues have definitely helped Bridwell, but also he's not given up a whole lot of hard contact. So I think we got to give Bridwell some credit. I have been a little bit slow to get on his bandwagon, but I think about it was about two or three starts ago and I started to realize, okay, uh, he's certainly making the most of, of Angel Stadium and he's not giving up that much hard contact. So to do so against the Astros, though, that that's kind of another plane. So that's uh, a good start for Parker Bridwell. And then he 
was countered by Colin McHugh, who has been very extreme in his fly ball tendencies, got a 32% rate this season, uh, but very good start against the Angels. And again, not a great power hitting lineup, but a great venue for a fly ball pitcher to throw in. And he went six innings and just gave up one run on three hits and two walks with eight strikeouts. That's impressive. Eight strikeouts against the Angels. And McHugh has been pretty good for strikeouts. Uh, that's a that's a good test right there, um, both in terms of just the overall performance and being able to get a bunch of strikeouts against a team that's not all that prone to strike out. So uh, uh, both Bridwell and, and McHugh really passed a, a good test there. Bridwell with the tough opponent in the Astros, McHugh uh, with a team that doesn't strike out a whole lot. So uh, that's uh, one to kind of stick in the back of your mind when you're looking at future matchups with those pitchers. And then there's uh, Kendall Graveman, who, when he came up, was really profiling like a a ground ball pitcher uh, through the the Blue Jays system and then coming over to the A's and, and early on. But he's really kind of modified those tendencies. He's not a fly ball pitcher by any means, but really become much more neutral. And uh, he's done done quite well lately, regardless of whether the balls are in the air or not. Against the Rangers, seven innings, one run on nine hits with no walks and six strikeouts. And now over his last three starts combined, he's got a 2.25 ERA with 14 strikeouts and four walks in 20 innings. So... That's a decent strikeout rate for somebody who at times has been very contact prone and a very good walk rate. So throwing a lot of strikes lately, um, but not allowing very much soft contact at all. Only 10% soft contact over those three starts. That for somebody who's no longer a 50% plus ground ball pitcher, that worries me because that is an extremely low soft contact rate for Kendall Graveman. I mean, if he were getting a few more strikeouts, Maybe I could overlook that, but uh, Graveman is one of a number of pitchers. While I'm encouraged by Bridwell and, and McHugh, Graveman's one where I, I see a, a big old red flag flying. So how about some other fly ball pitchers? Any more red flags there? Stay tuned after this break and find out. I'll be right back. Welcome back. This is FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, I'm going to talk about a few more pitchers with uh, a little bit of uh, tendency to lob the fly ball. But despite that, did really well last night. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending on who you're facing and where you're facing them. Uh, Robert Stevenson facing the Pirates. He was doing it at Great American Ballpark. That's kind of a dangerous place to be a fly ball pitcher. Hasn't worked out well for a lot of other pitchers. Uh, but uh, he struck out the first six batters he faced last night. That's one way to get around that. <laughs> but uh, it was sort of a Jekyll and Hyde performance for Robert Stevenson. Uh, lasted five and two-thirds innings. Uh, gave up seven hits and four walks, but did finish with 11 strikeouts. But he uh, gave himself a nice head start on that. Just two runs. So I'd say overall a good performance for uh, Robert Stevenson. And in the month of August, he's got a nice, tidy 1.96 ERA. 
But a lot of hard contact there, so he better keep striking out batters. Uh, he's definitely one to look at the uh, the matchups for uh, going forward. Uh, and yeah, in fact, let me take a quick look at that because that's that's not really cool of me to say that and then say, "Oh, well, good luck with that." Um, so he's facing the Mets next. Yeah, that looks like a good one uh, based on how stripped down their uh, lineup is right now. So somebody to consider for next week. Uh, moving on then, Miguel Gonzalez talked about him recently because he's been on a nice run and yet another good start for him. And this against the Tigers, uh, went eight innings, gave up two runs on seven hits and no walks, nine strikeouts for Gonzalez. So that's an eye opener for him. So over his last four starts, a 1.29 ERA, 29 strikeouts in 28 innings. That's, yeah, that's okay. Eight walks. That's a very good ratio. And only one home run, uh, 30% hard contact rate, which is maybe just slightly below normal. So maybe there's a little something to this here, but one home run in 28 innings, that's for a guy who pitches home games in a tough park for pitchers. And over the stretch, it's not like he's getting more ground balls. 50% fly ball rate. That is very extreme. So uh, I would put up a red flag there for Miguel Gonzalez, even though it's another good start and it gets harder and harder to explain it away the deeper he gets into the streak, but I, I still have a hard time buying it. And I would say same thing for uh, Julio Tehran, who I wouldn't say is on a hot streak unless you're only counting games against the Rockies. Earlier this month, he pitched seven scoreless innings at Coors Field, which was one of the more head-scratching performances from Tehran, who is just had a really hard time at his own ballpark uh, and faced the Rockies there on Friday, went seven and a third, only two runs this time on five hits and no walks four strikeouts. But bear in mind, the Rockies are not a good team at all away from Coors Field. So I'm crediting the, not necessarily even the venue with that one, but the opponent, the matchup for Tehran. So I'm not buying into him quite yet either. And finally, very nice spot start from Ryan Merritt. And if you've heard that phrase before, this was uh, the guy who who came in uh, during the postseason last year for the Indians and in, a, in a, a tough spot really came through and against the Royals yesterday, six and two thirds scoreless innings uh, and seven hits, one walk, just three strikeouts. But again, the Royals, that's they're not, they're not the strikeout averse team they used to be, but that's not a huge shock. Unfortunately for Merritt, that probably is just a spot start because Josh Tomlin is due to come off the DL possibly as soon as next week. So I'm intrigued. I, I feel like he didn't get enough fanfare for that postseason performance last year. So at least Merritt gives us a chance to, to sit and, and remember that for a minute. And that's all we got. <laughs> that's all we got to remember, Ryan Merritt. It is time to go. So thank you very, very much for joining me. Good luck uh, the rest of this weekend with the fantasy teams, and I will see you back here next Saturday, same time. So good luck next week as well. Take care.